do 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 Here we go. My name's Todd Adams. This is Kathy Adams. Welcome back to yet another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. What is Zen Parenting Radio? It's a podcast where you'll feel... Outstanding. Outstanding. And this is podcast number, geez, I don't even know, 344 maybe? Do we ever know? I know, but we're recording this early. So we have, um, what else? Uh, oh, what's our motto, sweetie? The best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Is a parent's self-understanding. Yes. On today's show, we have our good friend, Dr. John Duffy. He's a highly sought-after clinical psychologist, best-selling author, certified life coach, parenting and relationship expert, among other things. He actually um, was a speaker at our conference. He was. 2016. Yes, he was. You he... did a fine job, Doc. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, it was a, it was an honor and a privilege to be there, and what a great vibe that conference had. Oh, yes. Yes, yeah. and we're doing it again in a few short months, so it's going to be good. Hey, you know what? What? So John gets the award for the most times on this podcast. Guess wise, can you believe it? Is this number? Is this number three for you? This is number three. Ooh, wow! I know you broke. uh, You pierced the two because there's a few people we've had on on a second time. Yeah, Tara Moore, Annie Burnside, maybe a few others, but John, Um, the winner. And the the reason I want to ask John to do this is because we'll we'll get into this probably later in the show. But he started a podcast, and he's our friend, and I want to help him expand his audience. So that's kind of why we. Or maybe he helps us expand our audience. I think he's doing all right. (laughs) Right. He might be okay without us. Right. But how about this? We want his expertise on our show, too. Right. So we don't really have an agenda of what we're talking about today, do we? Well, I, I kind of do. Okay. What do you got? Well, the name of John's podcast is Undo Anxiety. Correct. Yes. And John, it actually originally was like uh, the, was it the Dr. Duffy show? Like, what was it before? It was uh, cleverly entitled the Dr. John Duffy podcast. <laughs> John went way deep on that one. I, I hired a focus group. We came up with a whole bunch of ideas. That's the... Uh, that's really what showed up as the best possible name we could come up with. That's what he landed on. And then what he found from his first guest or the guests that, that started to come on, or maybe it was just what you and you uh, really wanted to talk about, is anxiety was the theme, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Um, in the first, oh, maybe dozen or so podcasts um, that I recorded, I realized, okay, we're talking about something consistent here, and it seems like anxiety is is the theme and it's not anxiety like in a clinical way yes. you know it's more like kind of this cultural undercurrent of anxiety that we're all suffering in some way and it just manifests differently in different lives so every story is distinct and unique and amazing and yet that anxiety thread yes. kind of runs underneath all of it and I, and once i started recognizing that i started seeing that in myself and in my practice like kind of Everywhere I looked, I saw like, oh, yeah, we are all in some way suffering undue anxiety. And it's actually, it's a phrase I stole from a Catholic prayer that I grew up with. How interesting. Uh, Yeah, yeah. But um, deliver us from undue anxiety. I remember reciting that when I was a kid. Well, there's two things. One is I love the the podcast title now just because it's multiple meanings, to undo it. And undo anxiety, and undo, which I love. Right. So um, that was the first thing that I loved. And I forgot what I was going to say after that. So it doesn't matter. Well, I, I, my question is about undo anxiety or just anxiety, period. Because I love yeah. that you said it's not always clinical. Because sometimes we get very focused as therapists on like the diagnosable disorder. You know, like this is an issue this person has. It's theirs. And the truth is we all have pieces of all those things. We've all had depression. We've all had anxiety. We've all had, you know, paranoid thinking. We've all had that. So we all can relate to this experience. Um, but anxiety, like, is this new to this time? 
is it exacerbated in this time or is it coming out so we're able to deal with it? Like, how do you how do you view I think, this? I think it's kind of um, amplified, amplified to some extent in the, in this time. Um, I would guess that we were, we were talking about the 60s a while ago, the mm-hmm. 50s. I think about different eras of uh, like American culture. And I think I, I think we were suffering undue anxiety, some undue suffering um, in all of those times. And in a weird way, um, recently, I think we can afford to be anxious more, you know, whereas, you know, I think, you know, people had to survive at different times in in, in our history. And now we have um, the odd luxury of being uncomfortable and being, um, you know, having kind of this um, unrest that's hard to put your finger on. But but it's it's this it's this layer of suffering. And I think a lot of people aren't aware that they're experiencing it. You know, that's why uh, um, I, it's an honor to do the podcast because people come in and they, to my surprise, you know, I thought, oh, this is going to be a showcase for Dr. John Duffy, you know? Right. And to my surprise, um, people really wanted to be sure that they told their story um, with accuracy and integrity and wanted to make sure they were helping somebody else out there who's listening. Like they wanted to touch someone mm-hmm. at, at, who was experiencing anything similar and give them some degree of hope, which um, has blown me away because it's kind of been true to a person, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, like in a way it's been really gratifying and humbling yes. to me. That's the <laughs> that, word that was know, coming yeah, to my head too. Well, I remember what I was going to say is uh, when I heard that you switched the title, um, as much as I liked it, I'm like, oh, he's going to kind of pigeonhole himself into something that like it's too narrowly focused. And then mm-hmm. I really thought about it. You can attribute anxiety to most anybody's form of pain or suffering or mm-hmm. healing like it, it it's across the board mm-hmm. that's so what he can, said like that's the thread that that's the that's the piece that goes through all of our lives and some people might have a different word for it fear anger worry it doesn't matter but anxiety is as good as a word as any of them yeah right? yeah i mean the words i tend to use most are fear mm-hmm. fear is the biggest one um, judgment and ego, um, all this stuff drives anxiety in us. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, insecurity, uh, you know, um, you know, even, even, the, even the bully down the block is, is, is an anxious person. You yeah. know what I mean? Yes. Like, you know, the, so, so even your villains yes. are suffering anxiety, you know, like, um, you know, so I, I think it's, I, I really, I, I thought about what you said, Todd. Yeah. I thought like, mm, you know, Am I am I suggesting that I'm talking about clinical anxiety? And I and I probably run that risk a little bit. Yeah. But it's worth it to me because the word I think is is that meaningful and that potent and that powerful and and all encompassing. I was gonna say I envision as you talk about it, it's like a box that holds all those other words. Mm. You know, anxiety is the box that holds the fear and the judgment, the perfectionism and the insecurity. And you know, in by talking about anxiety, you open the box to all of those other conversations. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, um, the the when I was born, the diagnostic manual for mental disorders was a pamphlet. I mean, it was about it was about twenty pages long, and and the first the first mental disorder listed was homosexuality, right? <laughs> and I think the second one was hysteria, yes, which was specific to histrionic women, women histrionic right? women, exactly, exactly right. Yeah. Now that thing is thicker than anybody's Bible, That's right? right? And I think like you know, and and we think that there's these all these discrete categories of what our suffering is, yes, and 
I took the book out of my office because in the end, to me, it's all anxiety. <laughs> you know, I, I do a day in, in with my college students where I talk about the DSM in my, and I still have the DSM four, you know, like the outdated oh, yes. version. What are we up but to now? Is five? It's DSM five. We're five, bam. Yeah. Okay. yeah we have and, updated. And there's always these updates and new language, you know, like whatever's going on in our society, you know, addictions have changed and, you know, all Didn't these. Didn't they put like grieving in there or something like that? What's a thing yeah. where it's like some clinical diagnosis where if somebody is sad, then you got to give them a pill. Am I making that up? No, oh, I, no. I was a big, I was very against that. And yeah. it's in there now, right, John? It's in there now. Yes, yes. <laughs> grieving is in there now. Uh, uh, things that are, are symptoms, normal. Yeah. symptoms and normal are, are in there now. Um, school refusal is a yes. clinical diagnosis. I mean, mm -hmm. so some of it is th these uh, these groups lobby the American Psychological mm -hmm. or Psychiatric Association rather um, and get these th these bizarre diagnoses in and, you know, and a lot of them are just symptomatic of, and I'm going to be, I, I, not to be overly self-promoting, undo anxiety. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Well, yeah. and a lot of it, you know, like, and I'm not going to bore our listeners with it, but a lot of it has to do with insurance and being able to diagnose someone with some, somebody with something so then they can get treatment for something. So I've talked to people on the other side who are like, there's a reason for this. But what unfortunately happens overall is all of a sudden you think grieving is a mental illness and a, something that is a bad thing. Right. Where you're like this, I shouldn't be having this. I, um, you know, there's something wrong with me versus grieving, knowing that there's something very right with you. Right. Like grieving is like your form of expressing your love for something that is lost. And so it's that mentality of even though in the long run, there was a maybe a good reason for it. It affects us in that way where all of a sudden people start to think of themselves negatively. And then they have, we're going to say this all day, undue anxiety <laughs> well, about who they are. And it's funny because, uh, you know, most of the people that listen to this podcast are parents. And as a parent, I would be lying if I didn't say I have some anxiety, making sure my daughters are kind and, you know, smart and funny and all these things. And then the kids themselves, I mean, talk about anxiety going to school and, you know, it's across the board, both parents, children, it's people. And it's funny, the DSM-4, like really not to overgeneralize it, but it's, the question I would ask is, am I enough? Like that's really, if right. you break down layer by layer and you go all the way to the very bottom, it is, are we enough? And that doesn't mean that these disorders don't, aren't in existence. They, they're not real, certain ones, but really it's well, about that one thing. They are real, but how do we view it? Like it's, it's interesting because, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we interviewed Alexa James, who is the uh, executive director of NAMI Chicago. Right. So her whole focus is, you know, how do we destigmatize mental illness, and you know, and even shifts in our language of how do we create mental wellness? You know, how do we look at this differently? Because if we understand we're all in that book, because yeah. my joke that I always say um, to my students is, when I first started, you know, when I had my first class on the DSM, I figured out the twelve things that I had. Yeah. You know what oh. I mean? When you go through that book, oh, yeah. you're like, okay, I'm this. I'm oh, there I am. Yeah. Oh, that was me at twelve. That and you know, it's just like the stories we hear. I remember Sean Acor, who's a happiness researcher, he said one his brother at one point who was becoming a doctor called him and said you're not going to believe this, but I have leprosy mm -hmm. because he had been studying, <laughs> right, all these medical issues. Right. And so that's what happens to us is instead of seeing our commonality, all of a sudden we feel not enough and mm. that there's something wrong with us. So it's just a shift. We could look at that book and say, here's our book of shared problems mm. versus here's your problem. Yeah. 
you know? Um, real quick, I feel like I'm being a bad host. Uh, I want to introduce John's wife, who's here, Julie Duffy. Hi, Julie. I just wanted to make sure that you that the people knew who was going to chime in from time to time. And you guys have a kid together, right? Yeah, we do. George. What's that guy's name? George? George Duffy, yeah. George Duffy. So, yeah. and, um, and no longer a kid. He's, a, he's right. a 21-year-old man. He's not 21. He yes. is. He is. Oh, my gosh. So is he in his junior year or his yeah. senior year? Yeah. His junior, junior year, year yeah. at yeah. Indiana. Yeah, I do. Oh, awesome. And he loves school, doesn't he? He's Yeah, he does. He's doing really well. He's the best. He is the I know. Yeah, I've I heard mean, from I think we're being objective about it. <laughs> <laughs> Literally the best. He is the best. Yeah, we've looked at a number of different yeah. ways to measure that. <laughs> and, um... He wins. <laughs> well, I wanted to say something about the podcast and un- Undo Anxiety, the title. Um, you know, the, and I think a huge part of the undo part um, we noticed was everyone who spoke about whatever experience they went through, whatever they suffered, they spent a lot of time thinking they were the only one. Mm. Yes. So unnecessarily. Um, And I think we all forget as soon as we feel down and out in some way, um, you know, off our game, we feel like the whole world is going on without us and we're the only one. And, Mm. And that is, that's a huge part of the undo for me listening whether it was a student who felt really they'd picked the wrong school and they were really out um, feeling anxious and depressed. You know, I think we don't do a great job about presenting that piece of the education um, picture to our kids that, you know, you're probably going to feel this way at some yeah. point. But th- that just killed me to hear that all these adults and kids, whatever they suffered, they spent so much time thinking, I don't know what's wrong with me. And I'm the only one, and uh-huh. everyone else is out there kicking it, having fun, and uh, so that was a huge part of the the shift in the title too. Was um, you're not alone. You're not alone. We forget. We think we're alone a lot. Un. un- Necessarily. Um, so you listen to this guy's podcast yes. consistently, and can, give me the prototypical like what who who is on the podcast with John typically. Um, oh, there's been all kinds of things. Are they uh, kids? Are they adults? What are they kids talking? and adults um, uh, who you know went through something? Um, everyone's you know some people come on thinking they're going to talk about one thing, but they all end up being very um, revealing. Sometimes talking about things, actually, oftentimes talking about things they never thought they've never talked about before and never mm-hmm. thought they would share. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think John creates a safe space. Um, so they process something, they share something, they help other people, you know, so if you haven't listened, um, listen in because someone, every single one of them, whether it's your exact issue, will change your life. Mm-hmm. You will look at things differently and it will help you understand some part of yourself, I think, certainly maybe your child's or your mm-hmm. mother's. And just the more we all understand that we have a common experience the more, um, the less we suffer. Mm. That's so beautiful. It is, honey. That, that is awesome. I love John that. John is like, his you know, eyes Janet. are so big. He's like, wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to clip that right out That's of there right. and put that at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> you <go>. You're <laughs> like, this is my wife. Um, I want to say something about that because I someone just asked me recently, they said, what is the thing that you tell your kids most of the time? Like, what's the advice you're giving or the lecture or whatever? And I said, well, I try not to make it advice or lecture, but usually when they're telling me something or asking a question, my comment is always, that's normal. That's normal. And not 
in a inauthentic way. But like no matter what they're feeling or experiencing, anger, joy, happiness, fear, um, all these things, I'll be like, yep, normal. Because that's all really they need to know is that no matter where they are, someone else has been there. And 99.9% of the things they're going to tell me, I've been there because we all have, right? right? Even if we haven't had their experience, we've had the fear or the, you know, the worry or the feeling alone or scared. And if they know that, then that's the foundation from which they they grow. Like if they know that they're not alone, then they then talk about undue suffering. Then they don't have that feeling of I need to hide myself away or create a mask or I need to pretend to be something different because who I am isn't good enough. I'm not worthy. And so therefore I need to pretend. And then they turn 40 and then they have their midlife crisis and say, okay, now I got to take this mask off and figure things out. So my, you know, one of the reasons Todd and I, you know, wanted to do the show and talk about these things is how do we allow our kids to, how do we let them know they're normal early, not keep them from having experiences, but let them know that these things you're experiencing, you're so not alone, so you don't have to put the mask on. Right, You get right, to right. join everybody else. Well, I think it comes back to what you were saying a moment ago, Todd, and what you were saying, Julie, is that, you know, this idea of not being enough or not being good enough, that's pervasive. You know, I, I think almost everybody feels some element of that, and, um, and, and that's when you listen to... Um, especially these teenagers that mm-hmm. I've been talking to, tell their stories. You realize that what they think is most broken about them and not enough about them is where their power lies, where the, where their strength is, and um, oh, and and, and, the, and the courage of like telling the story itself is, is kind of um, jaw dropping, and their and their emotional intelligence is uh, to a person kind of like awe inspiring. Mm. And so I think part of it is instead of Telling our kids, you're enough, you're good, you know, it's like drawing it out of them and then reflecting it back to them. Like, whoa, you know, Mm -hmm. like, wow, that's, I think you got this, you know, like, or even if that's awful for you, I think you're, I think you're going to be better for this experience, you know? What a beautiful, again, it just comes so strong visually for me, where they feel they're most broken Mm -hmm. is where their power lies. I mean, I feel like that needs to be like said yeah. over and over again is when when they realize all these things they're saying that are so hurtful and they're afraid of and that they've maybe not been able to say or express or put into words. And then all of a sudden you're like, and that's where yeah. everything beautiful. Well, and it's like from. a shifting of focus. It's really how you relate to whatever it is you think you're having a yes. problem with. If you're able to shift it as this is actually not a curse, it's a blessing. Because right. This is where your strength comes from. This is you know, when your chips are down or you're going through something, that's, that's, you know, we said on the podcast that we did a little while ago, pain can actually be a pretty good thing. Yes. Um, and it can propel you in a certain direction that you otherwise never would have. Right. And, and I, I would argue that the, the parent that lacks Zen <laughs> um, and, and, and is coming from a place of fear, what we, what we have this tendency to do is verbalize, talk at our kids, maybe lecture at them, but even if we're talking at them, Mm -hmm. you know, and trying to talk them out of the way they feel, genuinely, sincerely feel, because we're uncomfortable with it or we can't handle it. We're short-circuiting a really important process for them where they can kind of discover that on their own because as I've seen it in real time, we can say it all day long, they're not going to hear that. You know what I mean? They're going to think. And I, I had a kid do yesterday in my office. I had a girl kick her mom out. She's like, 
I know you're on my team, and so I don't believe you. <laughs> you know, wow. right? So you know, like I know you're only going to say good things about me. So get out because Duffy's going to be objective about this, and right. and he'll just listen. And yeah. so that's the that's the job. And you know, and it's hard to do as a parent because it's hard to see your kid suffering. So that's a that's a great question, then, John. So that experience, because I hear that from parents all the time with teenagers or younger kids. My kid is not, or my um, yeah, my kid is not listening to me because they don't believe what I'm saying. They don't think that that I understand. They don't think that I get them. So I can't reach them. So what can a parent do in that situation? What is what does that mom do? The what, what I the, the advice I find myself giving to parents now um, is actually advice I borrowed from a, a couples therapist. Um, uh, and the advice initially was say 75% of the words you would normally say because you then, then you'll be thoughtful before you just react. Mm, good. And, and I found that that wasn't good enough. And so I've turned it on its head and I tell parents, say 25% of what, and I mean it sincerely, right? Yes. Because, you know, um, the mom I'm talking about uh, who, who is in my office, she knows, like she will talk and talk and talk. You're okay, honey. You're going to be great. And you're beautiful and you're awesome. And, you know, and if he doesn't love you, well, then that's his problem. And, you know, and there's no need for you to be depressed because you're doing so well in your life. And, you know, and it's just so much, you know, Charlie Brown mom, white noise, you know, that it's like, not helpful. We just talked on the podcast a few weeks ago about how, you know, when you lecture your kid and when I'm talking about like, you know, shutting off lights, like nothing serious, but keep your lectures to under 10 seconds and you might have a chance to penetrate, you know, send a message because, and I'm probably oversimplifying it. Well, and maybe even changing the language, like asking your kids to turn the lights off or saying, did you complete this task? doesn't have to be a lecture. Like even the word lecture has an energy to it where if you're just like, um, did you get this done? No? Okay. When you get it done, let me know. Like, it's done. So, you know, like the the way – I love what you said about that you took that from couples therapy because that's the thing I feel about parents and kids. It's just another form of relationship. Exactly. If we're in role, then, of course, we're saying blah, blah, blah and giving them all the lectures and giving them all the you're fine, you're fine, you're beautiful because we're in role. We're being – we are being a parent rather than being a human. Yeah. But when we realize – that it's just another relationship. And how are you going to relate to this person? Because, you know, in, in our, because we're two couples sitting here, you know, if Todd lectured at me all day about how great I am and what I should do, I'd be like, oh my God, shut up. (laughs) And I stole something from Dr. Duffy. I don't know if it was in your book or maybe our previous podcast, but parent from a place where you want to make sure that when your kid's 25, that they want to go visit you for Thanksgiving. That's exactly where I was headed. Right? It's like, you know, right. right. I mean, to, to, to your point about like, this is a relationship and it's a relationship you want to thrive and you want to know this person. You don't want to, you know, the goal isn't to like contain them and, and, you know, drive the course for them. That's their thing, you know? Um, and, we do. We want, this is not, we're not parenting for a couple of years here. We're parenting for a lifetime where we want to be connected with our kids forever. And, um, I had an experience with a dad recently and I, um, uh, I asked him that question, you know, do you think your daughter's going to want to come and see you 15 years from now for Thanksgiving? And, um, and he broke down and he mm. said, mm. no, why would she, mm. you know, I, I, she, she gets nothing good from me. And I'm yeah. like, Okay, man, what do you want to do about that? So basically what you're doing is you're holding a mirror up to this man yeah. and you're asking these questions in a way that he hasn't thought about it or maybe right. he hasn't chose not to do it. But, you know, that was part of your job is you need to hold a mirror to this man to say, listen, this is really what's most important, not the fact that they got an A on their test. 
it's about whether or not they're going to be connected with you. And I think in order to get there, you have to trust your child and yourself. Let that, that you know, like, okay, I didn't just meet this person. I've been parenting them this whole time. So they know the, the lecture. They already know it. They like, know. you know, they, they, they can deliver it themselves. And so all you want to do is be present if they need you. And if there, if there is a lecture, give it a moment. moment. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, you got to get the math done or, you know, you're not going to be getting into that college that you want right. to go to. See you later. You know, like, and that moment's fine. You get to have that moment as a parent. And if you have some goodwill established with them, they might listen to that moment. Yeah. You know, they might attend to that moment. Totally. And you know what I thought you were going to say that dad said? And I'm glad that he said what he did say, which was a breakdown and and a revelation of his own. But I thought he would say something like, well, I don't care if she visits me as long as she's safe and I keep her safe. Mm. Because that's what I get back is when I'm like, you know, relationship, relationship. And parents will be like, you know what? I'm not invested in the relationship. I need to keep my kids safe. And the, the big switch is the difference between physical safety and what you perceive as safety and emotional safety. Because emotional safety is the connection at home, the connection with the people they love, the connection to themselves, because emotional safety will create physical safety and will create the their ability to make wise choices and their ability to choose partners that are that are good for them. That's where that comes from. We're kind of going from the um, outside in. We're trying to say, I'm going to keep them physically safe on the outside and I'm going to tell them to do these things and, and keep them out of parties and read their phone every night to make sure. And we're like external mm. instead of internal. Right. You know wow. I, mean? I never really thought about that. That, that. I mean, that's brilliant, right? Emotional safety drives physical safety yes. because if your child feels emotionally safe with you in the world, trust themselves, yes. then then the party's going to be okay. That's they're right. going to they're going to make it through that, well, right? So that's what you want to create and, and drive. Right. And you can channel physical safety to, you know, I think of as a dad, like, oh, you want to make sure that your kid gets into a good college so they get a good job and, you know, physical safety would also be financial safety, like, you know, you need to be able survival. to independent survival. Right. But to your point, like Kathy and I, we spend 95% of our parenting energy on emotional intelligence, I think. Maybe I'm overstating. Well, on our emotional intelligence first, yes. I would say 92% of my parenting is all about me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's <laughs> right. like me without my kids. Yeah. Like how am I handling myself? How am I handling myself? And then the rest of it is focusing on that piece of when they come to me with something, what is the emotional connection that needs to happen here so they understand? And like I was saying to Julie, maybe it's just saying, oh, that's normal and that's it. Yeah. Or maybe it's saying, how do you feel? Or maybe it's saying, you know, how can I support you? Not here's what you do. And yet we send them to school for eight hours a day and two hours of homework talking about, you know, math and English and all these things. And emotional intelligence is not something that ever gets taught. So it's up to us parents to kind of, some teachers Prop are, that up. are pretty yes, great about it. Yes, but let's it. be realistic, sweetie. It doesn't well, happen very often. It may not be part of the curriculum, but I'm telling you, like I just was having a great conversation just this week with everything going on with one of my kids' teachers. And man, she is just, she's yeah. like, my room is about kindness. Mm-hmm. My room is about True. teaching perseverance. Mm-hmm. My room is about connection. So it may not be on the curriculum or the agenda for our government to yeah. put that in the curriculum, but there are people. Yeah. These are people. Yeah. You know? You're right. I'm probably shortchanging. Yeah. Well, y- y- years ago, um, uh, another psychologist and I, um, naively were going into schools to encourage them to teach emotional intelligence, to protect time in the classroom for emotional intelligence. Mm. And I remember we were in this one um, grammar middle school and this one teacher said, kind of like, are you guys kidding? You know, like we, we have we have agendas. There, there's stuff we can barely get through what mm. we're doing. We can't protect time for that. But what I think a lot of teachers 
do do that we don't give them credit for is they just model it. They they yes. create that atmosphere. You know what I mean? Which is way more important than the lecture or the like, you know, okay, let's look at the feelings face chart and decide, you know, where where everybody is today. You know, like I think right. there's other ways to, to teach it. And sometimes I think teaching it might be the least effective way. Amen. Because, Todd, that's exactly uh, – it's not like this is just to you, Todd, but that's exactly what we talk about with – it's not what we tell our kids. It's who we show up as. It's the energy we bring. So you may be doing math, but if your teacher is patient with you and they have a little humor with you and they're like, you're okay, you're learning emotional intelligence through that interaction. Well, and um, Rob Bell is going to be speaking at our conference in February and he did an audio thing called Launching Rockets. And one of the things that I got out of that, one of the many things... Uh, he talks about, you know, when he talks to parents that, you know, parents want to teach them this or teach them that. And he's basically saying, it's too late. You're already teaching them everything. Now, the question is, <laughs> what are you teaching them? Right, right. Like, so there's no, like, we always, as parents, we're like, we need this great opportunity to sit down and have this connection with our kid, whether they're five or 15. You're teaching them every single moment that they're around you. Yeah, they're watching. They're watching. They're watching, and you're teaching them how to be a person. Yes, right? you know exactly. So, and they are going to follow your lead more uh, of what you do, the way you treat other people, than they will ever, tr- you know, kind of abide by your yeah. lecture or lesson. Right. Right. And you know, so I'm, let me try to articulate articulate this. Um, I feel like we have. You, know, you were talking about falling asleep. Um, I think we fall asleep um, and have a really and carry a really narrow definition of what success looks like, yes. what genius looks like. Yes. Um, like we're so guilty of it. We all know better, but it all becomes about uh, honors classes, AP classes, ATC scores. What college are you going to go to? And kids, and and we have anxiety about that as parents mm-hmm. that we put on our kids. We want to have good stories to tell our neighbors about what our kid is up to. The bumper sticker. Like it's so, um, (laughs) it's so lame. Mm -hmm. And so we all know so much better. And, you know, some of these podcasts I've seen these kids end up, they get on that train and they end up in the wrong space because they are in the wrong, you know, because they, they, their, their strengths, their, their genius was, was not identified. Yeah. And they feel less than, um, against this really narrow definition of what success looks like and what is celebrated. Well, and here's the question. Here's a gut check time question for you parents, because I feel this. If I'm at, whatever, Starbucks or and I run into... Pardon the interruption, folks. We'll get back to the show in just a minute, but I want to tell you about our three amazing partners. Are you looking to keep your family in alignment and healthy? Are you ready to consider chiropractic care as a natural way to solve your health problems? Dr. Kelly from the Tree of Life Chiropractic Care has kept our whole family moving on all cylinders for over five years now. She's dedicated to helping families reach their health care goals naturally. Mention ZPR for $20 off your initial exam and get ready to get your power cranked on. You can learn more by going to chirotree.com. Are your kids getting to that age where you're thinking about braces? Dr. John Kelly will address your dental concerns and how they may affect your overall health, function, and smile. His specialty is treating adolescent children. Many orthodontists straighten teeth, but sometimes it's at the expense of your child's facial development. Dr. Kelly treated our three daughters and specifically how their smile will develop. John is on the cutting edge of this technology. You can learn more by going to chicagodentistonline.com. And finally, do you have a house project coming up? Avid painting and remodeling is your answer. Jeremy Kraft is the owner and is a good friend. 
He has the two most important qualities you can ever ask for in a contractor, professionalism and trustworthiness. Jeremy has done so many jobs for Kathy and I, we have lost count. So if you have a project coming up, I encourage you to give this bald-headed beauty an opportunity to earn your business by going to avidco.net. Now, on with the show. Here's the question. Here's a gut check time question for you parents, because I feel this. If I'm at whatever Starbucks or and I run into a parent that I know, like, oh, how's how's your daughter doing? My my uh, instinct is to, oh, she's doing lacrosse, she's getting good grades in school, and all that. Like, that is basically um, feeding what I'm kind of preaching against. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. actually, my daughter is. You know, I could instead say she's actually getting good sleep. She's been really, she has a great group of friends. <laughs> right. She's been really kind to me. She's been kind to, like, but we don't say that. What we say is what they're doing, not who they're being. Right. This, we're listening, we're doing their resume. Yes. Yeah. And this is the reason why small talk, I can't stand it because yeah. the societal norms of conversation is, is very mask heavy. Yeah. It's very like, here's yes. all the good things. So when you're crossing someone's path in Starbucks, you're just basically, you you know, when someone says, how are you? They, and I think some people really do want to know how you right. are. You know how some people say nobody really wants to know. I think some people do. And, but our societal norm is I'm just going to do the resume. I'm just going to list these things off and tell you all these good things. And, you know, it's funny because part of the uh, reason that I created a women's circle is I said, I want in my town to have people that I see in Starbucks that I just go hug. That we don't even have to have a conversation, <laughs> that there's like this understood that we're not going to stand here and small talk. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to see you and we're going to hug. And, and it happens. You know, it's kind of like, and that's not just women's circle. I'm not trying to make that exclusive. We could all do that where we're just like, we kind of got, you know, you look someone in the eye and say, we're not going to do this whole thing, but I'm here with you. Yeah. You know, so I think that's very true. There was, there was some, oh, to Julie's point about, you know, them following a path where they end up so lost because we said, here's the ladder or here's the, um, you know, hallway you go down and at the end you're going to find happiness and they don't. It's not allowing them to experience or they, they experience it, but we don't allow them to embrace their own internal blueprint of who they are. Right. We just say, here's the only blueprint. It's general. Everybody follows it, do it. So they have all these feelings of here's my internal blueprint. How do I use it? And we're saying, no, no, that's that's not good enough. And then, like you said, they get at the end of that hallway and they're like, who am I? And where am I? And I'm lost. And, yeah, and this isn't my hallway. This, right? my, because, this was never because my because hallway. Because this is the hallway of convention. This, is, this was the hallway you wanted me to have. And in a way, that takes away what is we, – we forget because we're fearful as parents. We're, we're fearful for safety and things. We forget that what's amazing about parenting is kind of launching this child and seeing – what's amazing about them and, and watching them discover what's amazing about them mm-hmm. and making a life out of that. And if that's what you expect it to be, how drab mm-hmm. a world it's, do we have then? You know what I mean? How no, uninteresting, no right? Yeah. You know, um, and, it, you know, 15 years from now, I think we want somebody who's a counterpoint to us in, to some extent yes. instead of just echoing yeah. what they've heard. You know what I mean? Uh, towing the party line is not that interesting and not that brave. You know, and I think we want our kids to be courageous and follow their path and hear their voices. But, but we also, can disrupt that. How, why do they, you know, to, to have things, you know, other talents besides straight A's, how, to have that celebrated, why do they have to be courageous? Mm-hmm. Like, why don't we have better um, avenues for celebrating, like I said, different kinds of strengths and genius? Yes. 
you know, because if you get, you know, if you're if you're not getting to the AP classes, we just get we all fall asleep to this really generic, um, like I said, definition of success, and a lot of our kids don't fall into it. And then when our kid falls off that, we we don't talk about it mm-hmm. because we don't want anyone to think, you know, that our family isn't perfect and our kid isn't doing really well. And, and, and then we're in these little towns that are cozy and connected, but really we're all scared to death. Pretending. And, right. We're all putting on our right. like happy face. Yep. Everything's right. great. Well, and doc, I'm apprehensive to say this to you and if it doesn't work, we'll cut it out. But you're, you talked about going down the wrong hallway. You had a brother who tragically took his own life. Yes. And I just wonder if some of your work has to do with some of your life experiences. Oh, yeah. You know, um, listen, uh, I will say that, you know, um, upon reflection, you know, I wrote, I wrote this book five years ago, The Available Parent, and I thought, this is a reflection of the families that I work with, naively thinking, this has nothing to do with me or my family. Right. right. This isn't mine. It's everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> because Don't we my all? family was perfectly adaptive. Um, <laughs> but, but the truth of the matter is, that um, Tom, my younger brother, is a great example of what Julie's describing. So we Duffies have this brilliant young man. I mean, he is a wildly brilliant artist, but it ain't conventional, man. I mean, it is like, it's dark and it is intense and and we're 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 all primary color people. You know yes. what I mean? Like we're bright and shiny and, you know, like, and, and perfect. And so... Tom didn't fit the mold. And so we all, and I'm, I'm going to put myself in, in league with this, we all kind of unconsciously or consciously rejected him mm-hmm. for that. And and the message he had to walk away with was, let us know when you're better. Mm-hmm. Let us know when you're one of us. Let us know when you're a Duffy. Yeah. Because right now, that's what you're, who you are isn't good enough. Yeah. So, um, no, I'm actually glad you brought him up because, okay. because um, that's probably the most potent example in my life. I'm another one, yeah. but but Tom, you know, was not celebrated for the genius that he was, and so. And he, there's parents listening right now yeah. that have a Tom in their family. You bet. And what we're saying is, listen, you you have to you have to foster and celebrate that mm-hmm. child, you know, no matter what, you know, and and recognize that they're not just trying to challenge your mm-hmm. parenting acumen. They're not trying just to be different or or difficult to be different or difficult. This is this is a person and this is who they are. And listen, the process might lead them somewhere than your worst case scenario, but your worst case scenario probably shouldn't be your worst case scenario. You know what I mean? Yeah. If if my brother had been, you know, still bre- drawing breath today and he was an artist and he was making a pittance, but he still had his wife and his two beautiful daughters, Who's to judge that? Right. That's a pretty good story, man. Well, <laughs> I would prefer that story to the one we got. Well, and when our kids are born, we kind of consciously or unconsciously have this mold or expectation of who these kids are supposed to be. And my advice to parents and to myself is to throw the mold away and observe to see who they showed up to be. Well, in that that's exactly that. it. And again, going back to the self-awareness piece, why this is so essential. I just got into a conversation with one of my guy friends last weekend about this because he was talking about a kid who's actually like a stepchild to him. And he's like, I need to teach him all the things I learned about studying. When I give this to him, he will be better. When I show him how I did it, then he will be okay. But right now he's lazy, but he won't be lazy after I give him all this stuff. So I was like, I was like, okay, take a deep breath. And this is a great guy. You know, Uh I was like, that's your story. So you can give him your story, but it better be given as a story and not 
his hallway path and how he's going to do it. You have to recognize you have no idea where he's going to go. And that while that gives you uncertainty and that makes you afraid, you had your story. Now you have to let him figure his out. And he will have failures and maybe he won't do well with studying. Like I was having the conversation with his mom across the table and she was saying, he may not learn how to study till college. He may never learn how to study. He may not go to college, but you know what? He may do something we can't even fathom. Yeah. And that's... Yeah, what yeah, I wanted yeah. him to understand. I'm, I'm kind of laughing at the folly of, and, and not not to mock any parents, right. because I think we're all coming from our, our best place and right. we're trying, um, but the folly of thinking we can control. You know totally. what I mean? Like, you know, like, you know um, and I'm, I'm not a big prayer guy, mm-hmm. but my, my father was an Alcoholics Anonymous, and on his 30th anniversary in AA, he got this little block that has one of those AA coins on it. And the serenity prayer etched into it. We just and said that on the show. Did the you? Other day, and yeah. so, and that, that I love. That I always, I, I, I put that block in front of parents all the time and say, read that out loud, That's you know, right. because, you know, the serenity to accept the things you can't change, the serenity, serenity, right? That there's peace in that, you know, like, oh, I'm going to witness the process and yes. I'm going to be available. If they need me, I'm there. I'm a soft right. place to fall. I'm a guide. I'm a consultant. If they need me, but other than that, man, I have no control over this, and that's a beautiful thing right. because I'm watching something unfold in its elegance, in its in its elegance. in its bumpy, you know, um, jagged, sometimes wretchedly painful elegance. What's so, the Wayne Dyer quote? Trade in? Oh no, it's not Wayne Dyer. It's Eckhart. Uh, no, it's not Eckhart. It's the poet Rumi. Trade in something. Invite. Aw. We, uh, it's something we, like that. We totally we always brutalize do this that wrong. Quote. <laughs> and then we like go back and look at it. We're like, it was nothing what we said. I'll but the it. energy of it is trade in what you're so certain about. Yes. And trade in certainty. And be amazed. Yeah. And I heard um, another, I was, I've, I'm obviously teaching happiness research in my classes that I'm teaching right now, but I think her name's pronounced Sapala, Emma Sapala. It's S E P P. Is that right, John? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Yes. So she's a happiness researcher and she was talking about, she talks to college students about their happiness levels. And she's, you know, figuring out where it comes from for them, the messages they they hear. And one girl who was really struggling, again, she had gone down the wrong hallway, wasn't sure what to do. She finally was able to talk to Emma about, you know, I, I just don't know where to go. And she said, um, what, what do you believe? You know, what have you been taught? And she said, well, my parents told me if I worked hard, I could be anything. And then she said, and what did they tell you about working hard? And the girl said that, that I would know when I'm working hard when I'm suffering. Mm. Oh, <laughs> right. Ouch. So can you imagine? It's almost like I when she gave it, she talked about this in her TED talk when she said that it was almost like a a vomiting. You know what I mean? You're, Julie's pointing at John. So there's a story here. John, tell us. Well, I'm not sure what story you want me to tell, because I feel like there's 50 of them. But I mean, that that alone is is the story. Right. I mean, you know, like um, I, you know, I I'll speak to a process so, you know, and John's maybe, about to own something. We, we, we might have to cut All this right. out at some point. But <laughs> but even right now, right. Um, because of the way that I grew up. The, so the Duffy motto was um, it, literally this is something that is said in my in my family now. He who plays pays. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and so so Kick suffering, suffering is the currency in a way. And so huh. I find myself actually seeking counsel because I am. Um, I'm working 
way more. I mean, I mean way more than is reasonable. And John, I know this about you. Right, even right. I don't see and you so every somehow day. I'm fulfilling this prophecy mm-hmm. and suffering. Yes. You know, and so I come home at the end of the day, and Julie, who's been pointing at me appropriately yes. and, and vehemently, uh, has a very good point that I choose suffering because I've been taught to choose suffering. That this is the this is what it's your par- default. This is my default your because pattern. this is what cellular memory. This is what. Um, I was taught. This because is what I was taught was the good boy thing to do. And that's the thing. You know, there's probably parents who are uh, listening and their kids are 20. And then that, for those, it's never too late. But when you're growing up, memories are imprinted in you. Yeah. When you're five or two or seven. In your body. There's so much inside. more... Uh, impactful mm-hmm. versus a 15 year old like it's less impactful so you were taught things similar to me like I think the first lo- one of the first lunches you and I already had I was talking about these things you were doing professionally I'm like do you like doing that you're like no I go why are you doing that <laughs> Because I suffer when I do it. Yeah. Well, and, and again, John, Todd and Kathy are very good free therapy. By the way, guys. <laughs> if you ever get to hang with them, well, and Todd, you—I mean, and again, I do it too. You do it too. <laughs> and there's part of and why I even brought this up is because the serenity prayer that John just shared is that piece of serenity where you let go, you take the monkey off your back, and you allow your kids to thrive and you enjoy it. People don't feel like they're parenting when they do that. Yes, they're right. like, I have to be suffering and trudging and and you know worrying and up all night. Like when I talk to people about mindfulness and meditation, they get worried about not worrying Mm -hmm. because they're like, if I'm not worrying, then I'm not going to get anything done with them. And I'm like, but you never were. You know, Eckhart Tolle, worry pretends to be necessary. It's an ego trick. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, Yeah. It pretends. It tells you, oh, you're not worrying, then you're missing it. But you were never doing anything anyway. And, you know, I'm talking to me. Like, you know. But there's a scale. And John is a 10. I'll take a 9 and you're a 5. Yes. I'm better. The suffering. That sounds about right. But I can go to 10. We can all have our moments of 10. 10, But your default is somewhere much healthier. Actually, my default, yes. I'll just say yes. I'm not going to get all deep about it. But it's a constant practice because I do worry. And I do go there. But I have mantras now. And I have yoga now. And I have meditation. And I have this show. And I have friends like you guys. I have people who support me, you know, in that thinking that doesn't help me. You know, um, and this is probably sometimes where... We parents who want to control and think that suffering is necessary to get where you need to go and that that's the metric um, can sometimes learn from our kids. Um, I'm, and I'll, I'll tell one more story on myself here. I remember driving my son down to college one time. It was just he and I in the car. But he, he and I have had this discussion before. He, he naturally is probably a three, maybe a two, wow. you know? <laughs> and um, Is he, Julie? Is he really laid back? It's pretty chill and <laughs> balanced. And, um, I love it. Yeah. And well, you he, didn't pass your bags down to him. To the free well, well, actually, and that that's probably in my life, Todd, the thing I'm proudest of is that, is that well, you, you know, like, be. That, that there's been this heavy legacy that I suspect goes back in my family generations further than I have any idea, you know. And, and to your point, Kathy, it's in the bones, yep. it's, in the, it's in the soul where, you, you know, you can sometimes not even articulate it, but Mm-mm. you just know it's there. You know what I mean? It just owns you somehow. And, you know, right. And so Julie and I, I think very deliberately with George, didn't want to pass that part of me yeah. along to him. And so, you know, I'll say, you know, um, coming from this very parental place, like, you know, the world doesn't always work as chill as you live it, you know? <laughs> right. And he'll say, 
Why not? Yeah. You know, maybe it should. And then sometimes when I'm the tell, the tell that I have is that I will pick my fingers when I'm anxious and I'm an, I'm, I'm sitting at ten, and George will call me out. He mm. and he does it. Every day. I mean, literally every day he's with me, yells, fingers. 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 He's probably said it a million times. He's probably said it a million times. And then that's a cue to be like, all right, relax, yeah. be present. Take a breath. Yeah. And so I'm learning That's a mantra in itself. It is. Fingers. It, it is my mantra, <laughs> literally. So I think, I think my default, I mean, I, I don't know if I want to call it my default, but I feel entitled, fully entitled to joy. Mm. Oh, that's so great. And totally. That's ridiculous. <laughs> but I don't, I, I feel like you don't, you, you do not necessarily feel yeah. right entitled. entitled. I'm working on it. I'm that. working on it. You are. I do oh, not. I do you not are. feel entitled to joy, but I'm working he on it. Knowledge, but you know it knowledge, uh-huh. and now it's working cellular. It is, And right. aren't we all doing that? Like, that's the, that's the, you know, best predictor of a child's well-being as a parent's self-understanding. That's what that means is we can't pass on something we're not at least... You don't even need to, exactly, (laughs) awareness is very different than changing every part of it because we are who we are, but can you, just us having this conversation and joking about our own issues, then it's out in the open and it's not the unconscious thing that our kids are picking up on. Like we, you know, we're actually owning our own stuff and saying, here's a challenge that I've had and here's something that's been going on for generations and I'm going to practice something different. I am going to, it may not be my default, but I'm going to practice At the risk different. of trying to therapy, therapize? That's the right word, yeah. Therapize. Therapize. the doctor. Google that, people. Um, oh, that was a word. Therapize. <laughs> all, um, all changes happen in a single moment. So a part of me feels, because I carry the same baggage, like, well, one of these days I'll get around to embracing joy. And somewhere down the line, something in me will shift and just relax and not work as hard or whatever it is that your battle is. But really, it always happens in a... It may take decades for you to get to that moment to make that decision, but... But see, and I'll even challenge you on that All right. because I agree with everything happens in a moment, but it'll happen in a moment and then we'll fall back. Right there now. is no now. It's all planning for something else, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that starts so early I with know. them and they just get on this conveyor belt and they don't feel it. They don't know where it's going. And then they end up either at some point it's going to crash and burn. Right. And it, it could be in your dorm room, freshman year, it could be, you know, John woke up in a cubicle, you know, he went to Notre Dame and got a degree in accounting and woke up in a cubicle and was like, Panic attack in the cubicle? Panic attack in the cubicle. That should be your next book. Actually, great title. Or your band. (laughs) A lot of the kids are, will, 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 will get their job and then they'll be like, what the heck? How'd I get here? What is this? 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 This is what this was all for? This is what you've been this, telling me to do? You know, and how many of us adults? job? How many of us adults are saying that as a 40-year-old person yes. or a 50-year-old person or an 82? That's belong, the midlife crisis. I belong to uh, a group called Mankind Project, and we do these week, weekend initiations. And usually it's any men anywhere between the ages of 30 and 50. But this last one, there's an 82-year-old man that went through this initiation. It's all about how to embrace the mature masculine. But- you never stop learning. You never, I mean, I was so inspired by this man because it's a heavy weekend of emotion. Mm-hmm. How old is he? 82. Wow. It's amazing. So I it's was amazing. just, uh, I was inspired. 
Yeah. Anyways. Well, and that's that's vibe. the thing is there is that's moment living too. You know, the thing about I don't want to go down too much of a tangent here, but you know, ageism in our culture, we're like, oh, we're done. We don't have a say anymore once you're past a certain age. We don't count. Everything is about being young. And if we just were really here in this moment, everything's pretty damn great. Yeah. But we're we're so focused on either getting somewhere or going back to something that we had. And when we had it, when we had youth, we had no wisdom. All I cared about was where I was going to buy my makeup. Mm. Like I was lost in stupid. And again, I shouldn't say stupid. It was very real at the time. I wasn't being stupid, but that I don't want to be that person anymore. Right. I want, I love the person I am now. Like I love the, the experiences, good and bad. And so why are we not embracing this moment? Right, right, right. And, and we have to teach our kids to honor their moment now yes. too, you know? And and, and, and it, I, I've learned in the last couple of years to think about, you guys have used the word joy, you know, and talking about the moment and joy and, and leaning into it. And I've learned to think about it a little differently in light of working with a few different people. Um, we... We tend to equate it with happiness sometimes. Yeah. And I, you know, I think, you know, that that to expect like the and, and to have our kids expect that that's the state they're supposed to mm. achieve. Mm. You know, OK, you're, you, I want you to be happy. And then some kids will tell me, like, I feel like I'm a failure because I'm not happy all mm. the time. And, you know, and so I'm trying to reconfigure the idea of joy being like is being present in the moment no matter what you're feeling. Like Amen. sorrow yeah. is just part of joy yes. and mm. grief is part of joy yeah. and sadness is part of joy. And then and and then happiness is this it's external contrast to or, right it's external but like if, when you feel like up, you know, that then you know if if you know that full range then you get it and you feel it and you experience it more deeply than you would if you just sat in in this blissful what Eden, you yeah. know, that right. doesn't really exist. This for Nirvana. Right. Yeah. Well, I told George during one of the Cubs games, and I said, don't get mad. Cause I'm, and I just said, I want you in your life's work to be as happy as Javi Baez. <laughs> I mean, he's, Oh, he's, a, he's, he's a seven year old. He's in he's, the he's moment. A, he's a seven year old infielder. He's for obviously the worked really hard, but he is, and, 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 you know, it says it consistently. And I think a lot of the Cubbies, you know, like they're, they're connected as friends, as yeah. humans, and they're having fun. Yeah. And I want, that's what I want for him. Yeah. You know, and I think that's, you know, I think that's achievable. Mm-hmm. And well, we know it is because we see it. Yes. Right. Yeah. But we don't have enough models of it. It's so funny you, you would bring up Javi because as we watched him, that's what we would say every time we go, he's a kid. So oh, he's a lot a of people don't kid. know who Javi Baez is. Okay. Javi Baez is the second baseman for the Cubs. They just won the World Series. He's a 23 year old kid, I think from Puerto Rico or the mm-hmm. Dominican or something like that. Yeah. And he plays with this unbridled joy. joy. Mm-hmm. And he looks like he's a seven year old kid playing a, a, a man's Look, game. It looks like it. And the way he embodies, he embodies it. it and the things he can do with his body that are like beyond where you're like, how is that even possible? And it's because he's in flow. Yeah. He's just doing his thing you know and so and every game he goes out there you know and all the cubs talk about this sorry to talk about the cubs but you know they go out there and they take every game like you know it's just a game Mm -hmm. just now it's it's you know increment increments uh inning by inning pitch by pitch but they have this dedication to this is going to be fun we're going to enjoy this yeah right and it's really inspiring Mm -hmm. and it's real Mm -hmm. well and it's no uh, and kathy said a moment ago like hobbies and flow so he's in the zone. So it's not just that he's a little kid and he's joyful, but he's 
almost otherworldly yes. in the baseball world. Like the so. way he tags people out at second <laughs> base is not, I've been watching baseball my whole life, but he runs ahead of where the ball is placed. Like when I was taught, you catch the ball and you drop the tag. The way he tags somebody out at second base is not something like anything I've ever seen. And I, and I don't think those things are disconnected. That, the, the, the idea that he's joyful and that he's loose and he's having fun yes. and, 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 and he's in the moment. And the fact that he can make that tag yeah. in, in a way that I've never seen anybody else do it. I think those are, are directly related. And to carry the, the, the parenting analogy a step further, I think the manager of the Cubs mm-hmm. is this guy, Joe Madden who sets that tone, who, who yes. sets that expectation for these guys that, you know, like, um, we're going to win, but this is a game, and we're, and, and we're going to enjoy it, and we're going to have fun, and so that's your job. Yeah. Don't you know? let the anxiety, what does he always say, don't let it outweigh the fun of the game. Right, Joe right, right. has got a great quote about that. And, you know, the Cubs, when they go on the road, he tells them to wear crazy suits, yep. yeah. and he says, have fun and stand out and be you, and there's just a lot of, like, encouragement of individuality, yet teamwork, and isn't that what we want yes. for our society? Oh. I think, yeah. oh. <laughs> We're well, all like in tears. And, 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 <laughs> yes. and, and, you know, baseball is a multi-billion dollar industry. And what he taught those players is not to take it too seriously. What we need to tell the parents that are listening to this podcast, I am way too serious with my kids. And there's glimpses of me being joyful and silly, but it's not nearly enough. So my advice to myself and to people listening is don't take parenting so darn seriously and, and be joyful and be silly. And say the serenity there's, prayer. There's not enough Remind of that. yourself. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Trust. Trust the process of it, you know, yes. and, that, and, that you're, and that you are good at, at, at what you do as a parent and model that and allow yourself to be that. And then you allow your child to be that person that they're going to be. You know? I think we should end on that. So, um, yes, I, I think we can go on for another hour, but we're not going to because I'm hungry. I am too. Um, So, Dr. Duffy, uh, how do people find your podcast? Give me the name of your book, all that stuff. Julie, help me out with this because (laughs) I do this at the end of my podcast and I think I screw it up. But I'm going to, I'll start, I'm going to do it the way I usually do it and tell me if I'm wrong, right? So, you can find my podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, liveleadplay.com, and WGN. Hmm. So far, so good, right? Right. Um, You can contact me if you have any ideas for my podcast or if you'd like to be a guest at John G. Duffy at drjohnduffy.com. Yes? Yes. All right. So far, so good. And I have a free parenting program on my website at drjohnduffy.com. It's not boring. It's just five videos. You watch them and you're you're going to feel good and better as a parent. It's not boring. It's not boring. You're going to feel outstanding. Outstanding. Um, well, we're wait, gonna... uh, one more thing. So, and you wrote the available parent. I wrote the available parent. And you, do you have another book coming out or is it I, not time to talk about uh, that? I, I, it's okay to talk about okay. that because that might get me going on actually, you know, working, getting, pushing the publisher a little bit harder. Okay. And that book will be called Undo Anxiety. Oh, nice. Course. Yes. Yay. <laughs> so, uh, Dr. Duffy and I believe his wife, Julie, are both fans of Bruce Springsteen. So we are yes. going to close with, uh, the end of the song that we were listening to earlier. Uh, John, Julie, thank you very much. You guys are awesome. Thanks for having us, guys.
everyone. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it, and we hope you'll join us next time. If you're a fan of Zen Parenting Radio, consider leaving us a review on iTunes. This helps people find us. You can also just tell a friend about our show. That's our favorite kind of marketing. Todd and I do speaking engagements about Zen parenting and self-awareness, so if you have an interested group or organization, contact us at comments at zenparentingradio.com. And get your early bird tickets for our big Let's Get Real Zen Parenting Conference February 24th and 25th at the Westin in Lombard. Todd and I will be speaking Friday night, and we have Rob Bell, Rosalind Wiseman, and Ali Smith as our keynotes on Saturday. If you want to know more about self-awareness or conscious parenting, pick up one of Kathy's award-winning books at zenparentingradio.com or Amazon. If you're a guy, I have two resources for you. I coach guys. It's called Coaching for Guys. <laughs> On the phone, Skype, or in person, we set goals together and come up with a plan to meet those goals. The website is toddadamscoaching.com. And we also have a monthly men's group. So if you're looking for a group of men to have authentic conversations with, check out the tribemensgroup.com. If you ever shop on Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. If you want an amazing vehicle to teach your kids about money management, go to the lower right-hand side of our homepage and click on the FamZoo logo and enter Zen Finance as a promo code. I want to give a special thanks to our three partners, Tree of Life Chiropractic Care, John J. Kelly Dentistry, and Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thanks for your love and support. Keep on trucking.